Welcome to the Stockout. Uh, made it to another Friday and I uh, hope everyone's doing well, had a good week and is going to have a good weekend. Uh, today, have a, a great show for you today. I uh, have James Woolard, who's the Chief Marketing Officer of Freight Farms. Uh, this is a company that manufactures and sells uh, shipping containers that can be used as hydroponic uh, farms, um, sells those to small uh, 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 farmers uh, you know, around the country and around the world. So we're going to hear um, you know, more about uh, that. Um, and, and first, I'll give a little bit of a, uh, a rundown of the news in the CPG and uh, freight of worlds. If you're new to the Stockout, uh, the Stockout is your show at Freight Waves about consumer packaged goods and all things related to uh, CPG companies and their supply chains. I'm your host, Mike Bowden, just a little analyst and market expert here at uh, freight waves do a lot of the writing for the passport, uh, you know, research uh, product, and for the freight wave sonar a blog, um, among other things. But uh, first, I'll just give a little bit of a rundown of uh, the news this week. Um, I think the idea is here to sort of connect what's happening in the world of CPG to what's happening in the world of freight. And I thought, you know, really sort of the interest, most interesting you know, piece of sort of news that came out this week is as Whole Foods published a list of the top ten trends in. Uh, in 2022 in in the world of food and lo and behold number one on that list is uh, vertical farming which uh you know ties nicely into the show we have this week uh, with freight farms ties nicely into the show we have next week uh with with plenty um and uh, that was you know the, the number one thing they have on their list i think it's also maybe the one thing that could really be disruptive to a lot of a transportation supply chain. If you think about lettuce and where it's grown, it's it's grown in you know, California to a large extent. It often has a long way to go to reach the 50% or so of, of consumers that live on that, that Eastern time zone. So uh, we're going to learn more about that today. Um, and another one of these big uh, uh, trends that Whole Foods calls out is, and this is a new term for me, reduce-itarianism. So I've heard of pescatarianism, um, heard of vegetarianism, reduce-itarianism, which is defined as I'm still going to eat uh, my meat and cheese and uh, animal products. I'm just going to do that maybe a little bit less and substitute, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, plant-based products uh, for, for animal-based products and, and also maybe, you know, focus in on the, uh, you know, areas of, um, you know, animal products that are a little bit more environmentally friendly, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, humane to, to the animals. So things like, uh, you know, free range, you know, chicken, eggs, the, you know, those type of things. The Whole Foods is really expecting that to be a major, um, uh, you know, major trend going forward. They also called out a, a number of uh, sort of ingredients they think are going to be uh, big going forward, like uh, sunflower seeds, which they think are going to be used for more than just, you know, spitting and uh, in baseball diamonds. Uh, so that's a good article to check that out. Um, you know, sort of going along the lines of reducetarianism. I think the big news that at least came across my desk today in the world of finance was um, Beyond Meat negatively pre-announced. So they were expecting a revenue of 120 to 140 million. Of course, not profitable because they're they're growing like wildfire, trying to introduce new products and so forth. But the revenue uh, came in for the third quarter at 106, so it's so a pretty well below 120 to, to 140 range, and the stock's down about 14% today. Has been since uh, that announcement. Um, you know, uh, Beyond Meat's been a, a controversial one. Um, I think it's at times it's had a very high short interest, um, faces you know com competition from you know some 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 competitors that have very good products like Impossible Foods, and then it's also facing um, you know competition from a lot of the traditional meat companies that are rolling out more and more products 
uh, you know, designed to, um, you know, have, uh, you know, give its, its existing customer, their existing customers, a plant-based alternative. You see companies like Tyson rolling out foods uh, that, that are, uh, that are plant-based as, as well. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. They report November 10th. As far as the uh, larger, more established CPG companies, their results have been pretty solid. I mean, you uh, listen to, um, you know, uh, Unilever this week, Nestle this week, their, their results are pretty in line with expectations. And those were, you know, were, were pretty high expectations considering that, um, you know, really we have not seen any uh, pullback in consumer spending, uh, you know, as of, as of yet. Um, and I think the, the analyst community has started to catch in on to, you know, the sort of the, the exact pressure that um, is, is taking place with their costs and uh, are now no longer being surprised by the margin impact. We've seen that in a couple of different quarters uh, from Unilever um, here recently. And then on the transportation side of things, a big busy season uh, for um, busy week for earnings on um, you know the, the rail industry specifically. They, they all listed uh, a lot of different ways that they plan to address the intermodal uh, you know capacity situation. You know, rolling out you know you know opening terminals that have been you know closed. Uh, you know, adding space to put the containers. Those those type of things. So so we'll see. Uh, if, if that sort of, sort of comes to fruition, the, the rail is still posting great results like they it seems like they, they always uh, do. And on the truckload side, those companies are really taking advantage of, um, you know, the, the strong pricing. I'll give you a good stat here. Uh, Heartland Express, which is one of the more sophisticated uh, truckload carriers, posted 75 percent operating ratio, actually 650 basis point improvement year over year. So it's a good time to be a carrier uh, right now in a transportation, a difficult time to be a shipper. Um, and, uh, and now we're going to learn a little bit more about um, you know, vertical farming, which is really sort of our topic of the week, and would like to bring on James Woolard, who's the chief marketing officer of Freight Farms. James, thanks Hi, for Mike. joining me. No, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good to see you. And I uh, wanted to have you on uh, ever since this article was uh, published on FreightWaves.com. There it is. It was written by yeah. Alyssa Sporer, who uh, focuses on uh, environmental um, you know, concerns and, and how those relate to uh, transportation industry. She, she um, you know, studied that at, at Iowa State University as environmental uh, uh, concerns and has really one of the one of the better articles recently at, at FreightWaves.com uh, you know, was, was on your, your company. And, um, you know, really interesting company. Why don't you give me a little bit of background, um, you know, on freight, uh, freight farms, you know, how it got started, how you got involved uh, with the company? Sure. So most simply, as you said, it's a, a 320 square foot container, freight container with a hydroponic farm within it. So um, that was something that our founder, John Friedman with Brad McNamara, they really created that category in 2011, 2012. Um, and now what we have in market is our flagship product, Greenery S, which is really the, the ninth, tenth iteration of that core container unit. Um, and then, I mean, very simply, it's controlled environment agriculture. So really, you have the vertical panels um, here within the container. And by planting and then directly putting the nutrients via water um, and being basically able to control every element within, that's where you have the precision growing to then choose what you can grow, what you can harvest, um, and actually particular attributes of the plants, et cetera. Um, and that really is our, our singular focus is this precision growing in a way that is you know, sustainable, helping to stabilize the food chain 
um, and giving access to people for fresh local food. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. So, um, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about just, you know, the, sort of the relative economics as, as, as you see them between the, the vertical farm and, and the traditional you know, farming sort of, um, you know, wh- where do you see sort of the puts and takes there and, and where is there the advantage in, in vertical farming? Yeah. So one, um, you know, and we're not in competition. So we see ourselves as complementary to this, to agriculture overall because of the modularity. We can go to anywhere in the world. I'm um, sorry, you know, food security areas. You know, we're in, we're all over the world, but where the soil maybe isn't at the greatest um, for growing. So that's one thing we're not we're not we're complementary rather than in competition. Um, in terms of how we stack up, um, it really is dependent on what we're growing. So. To give you the, the unit economics, if you're a customer, one of our small business customers, um, the unit costs $140,000. Um, you will be um, producing 1,000 heads of lettuce potentially a week um, out of that unit. So um, revenue is going to be in the $120,000, $130,000 level for a year. And all operating costs coming in at $30,000, $40,000. So it is a profitable business that can pay back within two years. But that really is dependent on the range of crops you're growing. So leafy greens, um, you know, where you can command a, a, a comparable price point um, with traditional agriculture and tell the story of hydroponics and precision growing is going to be more profitable for you. So therefore, what we find is people tend to um, have a range of the leafy greens, herbs, um, and then microgreens such as radishes and that might slightly extend your payback period or reduce that revenue but it's providing the balance that your um, consumer wants or if you're in a restaurant certain ingredients that are more relevant for that type of environment that's interesting and and you know who's your your typical customer that buys you know one of these containers for $140,000 and, uh, you know, has to learn a new process of, of farming. Um, can you talk just a little bit, if you have yeah. a typical customer, who's your typical customer? And then what sort of challenges have you run into as chief marketing officer in, um, in, in sort of getting the, you know, either, either getting the word out or having them understand uh, the process here? Yeah. So our typical customer is a, a small business farmer. Um, we call them someone who is looking for um, a small business, an entrepreneur, 60% of our customer base um, is that small business farmer who might start as a second job, um, tends to have a, a background within agriculture, but it's not by any means a mandatory and an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit and sees an opportunity um, to service their community and a need for this type of product. Um, just to give you the, the full details, 20% of our customer mix is not for profit. And there's a lot of benefits beyond the commercial and food there um, from a a lot of great causes we help. And then 20% is education and institutions. So we're a big part of a lot of agricultural programs. But within that 60%, it is that that call small business farmer who's looking to build a profitable business that is also doing good for their community, for the world. And and the challenges I really face as chief marketing officer is we're B2B. So everything is about the success of our customer and our consumer um, at the end, you know, their consumer. And really that's about building the community and the connected community so that there's the shared knowledge and we're giving our community access to that and being that bridge and support. Um, it's, we work very closely with the customers on building out their business case because obviously the P 
PL is dependent on them finding um, the outlets to get the revenue. So I would say we have my role, tell the story, try and acquire new customers, but equally, if not more important, is the amount of constant time and effort we put into supporting our customers, and we're always there for them. Yeah, that, um, that customer support seems really important um, because it's, it's, it's just a different process than they're used to, even if, even if they're used to traditional farming or, or in another industry yeah. or something like that, because it's, it's, it's so new. Um, you know, how, how do you do that? How do you support, you know, the customers? Is there some kind of just training program or I'm sure you yes. have, you know, customer success people basically are answering all the, all the questions or, or go out to site to, to train people? How, how does the process work there? Absolutely. So just to back up, our, our operating system, the software that runs the farm and you can control it for them is called Farmhand. Um, so you can literally be controlling the farm from your mobile phone or computer. In terms of the support then within that concept, we have traditional customer service, client services, um, you know, organizing product, any particular product questions so that they're fixed, solved, um, or clarified very quickly. We then have some, uh, a program called Academy, which really is um, a significant number of modules to teach you every element of operating the farm. And that is available virtually in videos, virtually in, in camps, and then physically you can come to our office for two days and get the full training of the, and then the materials are available to you. And then thirdly, we have a community. We actually have um, an online community of all our farmers where if you post a question or need support, um, you'll very rapidly get an answer either from someone within our company or, or within our wider community of, of um, farmers. That's great. It sounds like a lot of support there. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, just why containers? And, and that's kind of an interesting one you know, for me because in sort of in the last you know, several months, year, year or two, um, there's been just a huge sort of shortage of containers, um, you know, particularly in the, the international containers, which I believe is the size that, that, that you use. Um, you know, what difficulty have you had uh, you know, sourcing those containers, which you know, are, are manufactured by the, the Chinese you know, manufacturers and you know, getting those containers you know, where, where they need to, need to be? Yeah. I mean, we, we've had all the challenges that everybody um, is facing. We're 10% of the specialized container market, and it, it is coming from China. So um, we have had delays. Um, we've had delays, and we've had, obviously, to absorb um, the increase in freight costs of moving the containers. Um, luckily, we have a, a fantastic team on the, on the logistics side, and they've really been focusing on two things. One is bringing more containers in through the West Coast. We were predominantly New York and Boston and then using train to move it across the US. Um, and then secondly, um, pairing compatible imports and exports. So we are able to put things, um, we work with a paper supplier, for example, that's exporting to Asia. So that helps us um, mitigate some of the cost and, and the team have just been very creative in a solution such as that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, why hasn't uh, vertical farming, you know, taken off, taken off earlier? I mean, I, I guess I'm reading a lot about the LEDs and, and, and those things, but can you talk a little bit about the LED technology, sure. how that's improved, maybe your control over the LED technology and where costs have, have gone in, in LEDs? Yes. So complete transparency, you're right. We're, we're still early stage. The last two or three years have been a significant growth, certainly for us, you know, that's a times two, times three growth. So that's a lot more than the, the previous seven or eight years. And the reason is what you actually outlined, Mike, the, the efficiency of the LEDs and the entire controlling of the environment um, and the reducing of 
some of the, the cost of goods, um, but increasing in, in terms of the performance and efficiency. Um, and, uh, you know, a general education um, of vertical farming and hydroponics from a category point of view. As I said, we created a category and the category is new. So there's just a lot more awareness now um, of hydroponics, of the need for modular solutions. And of course, then of the, the huge benefits from a sustainability point of view, not having to move the farm, you know, you don't have, it's fresh, it doesn't have to be delivered, you're saving water, no pesticides. And generally, I think it's been an awareness issue um, in line with now you have, being frank, we have good track record of profitable customers and business. So we can offer more tangible proof points of it working in line with the product itself becoming more efficient. And then, you know, meeting with a greater awareness of vertical farming and why it's needed. You mentioned that um, the operating costs are thirty to 40000 a year. How, how do yeah. those break down? Is that mostly, you know, electricity or, or, or is that sourcing yeah. the, the inputs that, that go into it? So the inputs, you can break down um, three ways. You, yes, electricity, you're using 200 kilowatt hour a day. So, you know, that's going to be 20 bucks. Um, a day, if you're being really simplistic, maybe a tad less. You then have the cost of your nutrients and supplies that you're putting in. So that's going to be three, four thousand dollars. Um, and then the, the key one is, you know, and this is the differentiator within the PL is the level of rent you need to pay if you need to pay rent, and then what you pay yourself in terms of labor. So we like to plan around 15, 20 hours a week, and you can plan that at $15 an hour. So that really is the variable in there. If, you, if you're taking out labor, you're significantly obviously reducing your operating costs. Okay. So it seems like maybe the, it's, I, mean, I can see why now, you know, you talk about selling these containers to sort of rural communities that are maybe you know, sort of not well serviced, you know, maybe not right off of the highway, um, you know, because then, you know, maybe you don't have to pay a lot of rent, if any, to store the container and then the, the labor costs are lower there too. Yeah. And those are the same communities that don't have access to all the produce that the big cities, you know, have, have access to. So, um, it's all sort of coming together. Um, you know, we're talking to, to you here. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the sort of the relative environmental impact? I mean, you talked about you know not having as much, needing as much water, not needing as much pesticides. Yeah. Um, you know, any other interesting stats there? I think would be would be really interesting. Yeah, I think in terms of you know um, my job and reeling out stats, it is the ninety nine percent less water than traditional agriculture, no pesticides, and obviously your 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 equivalent of three acres of land, and then you're not having to move or your produce across the US from California to distribute it. So that's the huge, you know, positive environmental um, aspect and sustainable aspect. Um, one thing, you know, you asked Mike about vertical farming growing and really, you know, getting to the scale it should do. I believe a big part of that is transparency. Um, and we have, you know, significant sustainable benefits. One input that we worked on is electricity because that would be the input. Sorry. Hi, friends. Come and join us in the community room. Get ready to uh, snap your fingers. No worries, that happens. Apologies. Family is back in their animated comedy. It's the coziest family on the block. Come and join us starting now in community room. Apologies, Mike. That was an attempt to uh, escape my kids um, at the library. <laughs> obviously, there's something for the kids here. Um, but Just put them to work in a container farming, and then, then you'll be all set. Uh, um, 
know, the input of electricity. So really reducing that cost, improving that efficiency. And we recently started a partnership with Arcadia um, so that we offer all of our customers renewable energy. So offset through RECs. So that was a, a key final piece in the puzzle to address electricity costs and environmental impact within all of those other benefits. Yeah. And what's interesting about this too is that a lot of those input costs, at least to me, seem like they would be less volatile than a lot of the input costs you'd have with traditional farming. Um, because traditional farming, yeah. you don't know what the output's going to be. You don't know what the weather is going to be. You don't know what freight transportation costs are going to be. And as we've learned here in the last you know, couple of years, it can be tremendously volatile. I mean, reefer uh, uh, rates are extremely you know, high right now, and that's not something that can be hedged, uh, you know, well, um, you know, whereas you're talking about, you know, electricity, that doesn't move as much as, as things like, um, you know, diesel fuel and, and, and freight rates exactly. and, and a lot of those things in, in, in sort of the traditional, um, the traditional farming that, that, that they have to have to do with. Um, so that's interesting. Um, I guess another question is, um, you know, you mentioned that, that leafy greens are maybe the most economic segment of produce, uh, for, for, you know, for something, you know, why is that exactly? Um, just because of the um, demand and the price point and the the growing cycle. So, you know, you're growing leafy greens within four to five week growing cycle within there. So they're the most efficient in terms of use of space and time um, and a consistent price point. So by which I mean, you, when you're running the business, it's easier, in truth, to get rid of the higher volume of leafy greens because there's more demand. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and can you give us some examples of places you've sold, uh, you know, your, your containers? And I'm just, I'm just you know, wondering if you have any yeah. examples of places where you've people are growing lettuce that you know would be completely in, inhospitable and you know, otherwise. Yeah. So we're in um, 48 states, 34 countries. If you want to go to the, the sort of cool ones that really um, pop visually, you've got the Bahamas, you know, where they import a billion dollars of food a year. So that's, a, you know, the Caribbean in general is, a, is an obvious place for us and we have a significant business. Further afield, we're in Tasmania. We're in, we just entered New Caledonia. So yeah, that's even going past Australia. And then in Europe, you've got the Mediterranean, Cyprus, these very arid um, climates, where again, we're having a lot of pockets of success. Because to your point, um, Mike, the stability that comes from the modularity is really a key value prop that plays out in these environments around the world. That's great. That's really interesting. Only have a couple minutes left. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you think is really important to, to bring up on, on your business? No, just really what I would, for everyone out there, just sort of emphasize um, this transparency point. And it goes to your questions on vertical farming that, you know, that's what we're trying to offer the consumer and customer that you know exactly how your food is grown, where it's come from, the process to get it though, there. And that then we, you know, believe that when you taste that, um, you can taste that difference and you can see that proposition. Um, so this is all about, on my part, sort of making sure that we drive, as you say, the true growth of vertical farming that's needed by telling these stories and proof points. So it isn't, we know that Consumers like to hear from other consumers rather than the brand. So that's a big one. And then secondly, just as I mentioned, Farmhand, our operating system. So on the, on the one hand, that gives you complete control. It gives you access to data of recipes, you know, from learning from the community. And then also there's just so much exciting stuff 
within there because we're able to you know really tweak the properties the textures the flavors of um plants so you know we're working with chefs and people where where the economics is less important for a period um and we can do some more experimentation around really signature dishes signature um plants etc so it gets super exciting in that stage um of where this can go on top of this now very sustainable business model that's great yeah it's really exciting stuff and uh, this is a really interesting business that you that you have uh, it's going to be fun to, to to watch um and i guess people can reach out to you at just greatfarms.com uh, yep. and uh, if anyone needs to reach out to me uh, feel free to just email me directly is um bowdendistal at freightwaves.com and with that um unfortunately we're out of time but just want to thanks thank you so much uh thanks for, james, for, for joining me today just appreciate it